This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find, sequels edition. For this episode of Bibliovile, Susan read Excuse Me While I Kill This Guy by Leslie Langtree, and Nick read Shaded Vision by Yasmeen Gallant. Welcome to Bibliovile. I have reclaimed my throne as the beginning of this podcast, and I am here to tell you that it is time for a slightly late, we're sorry, edition of the worst book exchange podcast there is. Well, that makes it sound like it's the worst podcast about book exchanges. I mean, it probably is also the best podcast about (laughs) book exchanges. Especially about terrible books. Uh, My name is Mick Dickinson. I am the co-host of this podcast. And I'm Susan Dickinson. The other co-host of this podcast. You never put your title. Oh, sorry. I'm Susan Dickinson, MD. co-host number oh. two. Oh, yeah. Med. No, it's M-E-D. Oh, med. Yeah, for medicine. <laughs> uh, this week, I have a special surprise. Well, we have a special special surprise for our listeners, and that is the sequels episode. It is episode 20 of the podcast, uh, and we decided that the best way to do that, thanks to the helpful votes of four other people uh, on our Twitter account, <laughs> so thank you, our dedicated four listeners. Uh, all voted for a sequels episode. So that means that I have been reading the sequel. Well, actually, they're both prequels. They are. So it really is more of a prequels episode. But it's going to be a doozy, guys. This was super fun. It was super fun. It's almost like we picked out the ones that were the most fun instead of the worst. And so we got to have a, a good old time. So I, I read Yasmin Galanorn's modern classic, Shaded Vision, a prequel to Crimson Veil. So good. It was such a good book. Um, I read Excuse Me While I Kill This Guy by Leslie Langtree. It's which is a prequel to I Shot You Babe. Yeah. I Part of the you, greatest hits series. Greatest hits series, uh, both a play on the playing title, and also I just literally this very second realized it. A uh, hitman. So greatest it took hits. you that long. I thought it was just a really stupid name for a series, Greatest Hits Mysteries. And they're like, lol, because of the songs. No, because they also like, they're hitmen. Yeah. They make the hits yeah. on men. That's why all of my hooker novels are going to be named after famous men named John. Yeah. Like John Lee Hooker. <laughs> John Malkovich. The Disciple. Are they also going to be- The ass- Baptist. Are they also going to be assassination novels? No. It doesn't have to do with anything. I don't know. I just thought you were going to be so inspired by Leslie Langtree and her books that you would also want to start writing assassination novels. Yeah, but I think you really cut me short. Let's keep listing famous Johns we know. Um, Your uncle? I do not have an Uncle John. Is that your Aunt Miriam? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You do, too. I'm an Uncle John. Yeah, by marriage. All right. Um, John Adams? John Quincy Adams? Yeah. John Hancock? Yeah, I guess. Did you already say that one? No. He, I feel like that's a super John famous Locke. John. Oh, John Locke. Um, John Krasinski. Oh, I like from the him. Office. Yeah. Is his name actually John? Yeah, oh. I think. Yeah, John Krasinski. That sounds right. That one was for of, you, Jake. I the biggest of, office fan I of my life. I cannot think of any other Johns right now, and I know there are a John lot Cougar of John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, John, John Holland that I work with. John Hodgman. Oh, yeah, Judge John Hodgman. That's a good one. Hire us, Max Fun, please. 
<laughs> Please get other people to listen to our podcast. Um, John Tron, the uh, racist YouTuber. Oh. He's a video game YouTuber, but get this. A person who cares about games too much is racist a little bit. Maybe a little bit. And maybe a little alt-righty. Yuck. Alt-righty then. No, yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck, 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 yuck. That combines so many terrible things. Nope. Bye. Podcast is over. Sorry you didn't get to listen to any books today. Uh, we'll get to listen to at least one, and that is Excuse Me While I Kill This Guy, which is a terrible name because it's wrong from the the song. What in song two is ways. that supposed to be like pulling Excuse, off of? Excuse Me While I Touch the Sky by Jimi Hendrix. Excuse oh. me. Or Kiss the Sky. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. I just, it just doesn't really work. John Hendrix, I believe, is Jimi Hendrix's real name. Actually, it'd probably be It'd James. probably be James. James Hendron. Yep, we'll go with that. Now are we going to list all the famous Jameses that we know? Uh, the Tank Engine. James Baldwin. James Patterson. You started with Baldwin. Oh, the author. I thought it was one of the Baldwin brothers. No. James Madison. James Monroe. Of course, you start with the presidents. King James. He of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The yeah. version of the Bible. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You, listener, who just yelled something out loud. You were right. Yeah, that is a famous James. Isn't there, like, a director whose name is James? James Cameron. James Cameron, yeah. He was, like, the Titanic guy, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, Sue. Hey. Hey, what? What do what do the movies The Sixth Sense and Titanic have in common? I see dead people. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, it's a terrible joke. Yeah, what's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke? Anyway, we're going to get into these books here today. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic time. I've got quotes galore. Timing. <laughs> what? What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke? Oh, my goodness. You are a mess. Timing. Anyway, so Mick has like 47 post-it notes inserted into his book to mark off Sexually. pages that he wants to read. So... This is going to be good. We are, we are off to the races today, my friend. Off to the um, racist. I think, and I don't think either of these books were racist. Mine no, wasn't. Mine, mine included the phrase, the blacks, Oh yeah. Was it written by one of your students? No. Uh, the funniest part was is that they were making a pretty like pro-racial justice point, but it was like, would no. you say that to people that were here if they were, instead of being fey, they were the blacks or the Jews? Oh, jeez. Ooh. Anyway, we're not starting with me. We're starting with you. We are. We're starting with me. And my book was super fun. This is, I think the last couple books that I've read have been really quick reads. This was the fastest I've ever read a Bibliobio book. This is the I was I about have. halfway through it and we left Dubuque. We had gone to see um, some family up in Dubuque last weekend. And I was like, oh, I'll read like five or six chapters on the way home. And I finished the whole book. On the ride home. Because it was just quick and it was fun. And it, like... Mm, like a freshman romance. It wasn't... Hey, you were my freshman romance. So. Are you saying I'm not fun? You are fun. You're nice. very fun. I wouldn't I wouldn't describe our romance as quick, though. It's still going six years later. I guess. Um. Anyway, this book, each chapter has a quote to start it off. I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, the first... and most of them come from... So I've read something in this series before. Yeah. And most of them come from better books. Yeah. And it's like, maybe don't put better books in your book. Um, I just want to go read those instead. I did have to laugh a little bit because this book started off with a, a quote from Fight Club. Yeah. And I just feel like if you're going to start off with a Fight Club quote, 
your book has to be a little bit more badass than this like bright pink book with a woman's back with a lacy black bra on the cover. Like maybe you're going to have to be a little, little different than that. It's the most nondescript bra strap I've ever seen. Yeah. Also like that tiny little bra strap is not going to hold anything in place. But the, I, the I quote the that this book starts with is from Fight Club, on a large enough timeline, the survival rate goes to zero for, for everyone. everyone will drop to zero. I'm sorry. I just. Uh, what, was, what is on your wine glass right you now? Know, uh, you know when you finish off a pot of coffee? Is that wine grounds? That I just you got, just yeah, drink? I just got wine grounds. That's disgusting. All up in my mouth. It tasted like silt. I thought this was good wine that we no, bought. It is, but I love this. Oh, I probably should be not walking away from the microphone while I'm talking into it. But other than that silt, I love the the taste of this old juice. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, imagine if grapes had rockies. I guess some grapes have pits. I don't know. It's it's weird when you're like, mmm, delicious vino, and then you get little rocks in your mouth instead. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, that's gross. Okay, anyway. Over a long enough timeline, the survival rate of everyone drops, drops to zero. Drops to zero. And with that, trying to be more badass than it is, quote, we start, excuse me while I kiss, excuse me while I kill this guy. I kiss can't even, this guy would also work. I can't even say the name of the title. Kiss this guy would probably be better because the main character is better at kissing men than she is at killing them. Ooh. But we'll get to hey, that in a second. That's the preferred. Uh, so, if you'll remember from "I Shot You, Babe," um, this is another. This is another family member in the world famous, notorious Bombay but also family extremely of assassins. Secret. Yes, world famous but extremely secret because mm-hmm. those two things can coexist. Uh, if you have not listened to that episode, go listen to it right now. That episode can be found episode twelve, "Death of a Thunderbird." I feel like a comic book right now. Okay, okay now you're back. Yeah. So the Bombay family of assassins, who, as Mick mentioned, is both notorious, infamous, and secret. Um, they have been basically killing people for millennia, and their entire family is assassins. People can marry into the family. Um, you can have children, but any, like, children, anyone related by blood has to become an assassin. Mm-hmm. And this is the first book in the series, so this is supposed to be our introduction to this assassin family. And I feel like maybe the best way to introduce a family that kills people is not by having your first main character be a single mom with a five-year-old daughter who she has to train to kill people. Um, But so, like, basically the whole book revolves around this main character. Her name is Virginia Bombay. She goes by Jin. Yes, Jin Bombay, the joke I made the first time you brought me this book. Mm-hmm. I I noticed that when I got you this one. Yeah, so Jin Bombay, um, and essentially the entire plotline of this book revolves around Jin being busy and not having enough time to do things. Um, she is getting ready for an impromptu family reunion. Usually they only have reunions every five years. Uh-huh. But they're having one. They just had one recently. They're having one again. It's only been like a year. And normally if they have um, if they have a family reunion, 
other than the prescribed normal time, it's because someone in the family has messed up and that person is going to be taken out. Needs to be killed. Yeah. The You you won't believe it, but the same exact thing was ha- uh, in threatening to happen in the book I read. I'm thinking that the plot lines are pretty similar in all of the books. <laughs> um, additional plot points. So in the two weeks that she has to get ready for the family reunion... She also has to break it to her daughter that their entire family is assassins and that her daughter, um, whose name is Romy, is going Romy? to have... Romy? How's that spelled? R-O-M-I. Oh. Um, that her daughter is also going to have to start her training. Um, she has 10 years to train before she has to go out on her first kill when she's 15. And... There's like all the normal single mom stuff. For some reason, she inexplicably buys a puppy and she has to train the puppy. There's a man that she meets that she's trying to seduce. Um, (laughs) Her arch nemesis from the PTA wants her to make homemade ghost-shaped cookies for the Halloween party. Um, And she gets an assignment. She has to kill someone. And Yeah, there's like, there's a whole lot. So the single mom? Mm Mm-hmm. The single mom has to like take out a dude, and the, for dinner. The first kill is weird because on the back of the book you read that like one of the main sticky plot points is going to be that the guy that she's interested in is a bodyguard, mm-hmm. and she has to take out the guy the, that the he's supposed to be tar- prote- protecting. Yeah. yeah. So she gets the information about the first hit. I've read the back of the book, so I'm expecting this to happen, and. She, like, goes to stake out the victim's house, and she runs into Diego, the guy that she's interested in. And so I think right off the bat, like, oh, this is the guy who is also Diego's client. Nope. Just, just like, a different guy. And she kills him pretty easily by uh, by switching out his heart medication for poison pills, and then he dies, and it looks like it's a natural death. And that's it. And we wow. hear all about how Look she... Over. She only has to do one hit a year, and so now she's done for the year. And Which, I'm like, <clears throat> I I have a point about this because I also read this, and that mm-hmm. got brought up in my book as well. And also get this, my hitman also had to do more than one hit in a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, apparently, only one murder if it's that easy per year is not a good book topic. No, but my question is. How many Bombay assassins are there where an entire assassination clan can live off of only killing one person a year? Well, I think it's because they have accumulated so much money, like, over the millennia. And, like, they talk about how they've invested their money really well. And, and so, like, like Velcro and stuff. They're, like, they're, Wait, they no, have... that's the men in black. They're old money, too. Oh. We're the bomb... Wait, I need to find the my Bombay voice. Bombay family. The Bombays from the Connecticut Bombays. There's the voice. <laughs> There's also a European branch We the own Bombay a family. Caribbean island. It's in the Bombays. They do own a Caribbean island. It's I called remember Santa Muerta. Muerta. Yeah, mm-hmm. Saint's death. Saint death. So, Saint yeah, death after death. the first kill, it, it's just there's like sort of a weird lull in the plot before she gets the second one. And then she gets the second one and she's all upset that she has to make a second kill before she leaves and blah, 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 all this stuff. Do you think the author like hit herself in the top of the head? Like, damn it. Romance. Forgot to do the romance and it's too late. She had to kill the we're gonna, dude. We're going to kill another guy. We're just going to we'll bring in another guy. <sighs> Ugh, this is so frustrating. Diego missed his cue. He was supposed to smooch her. 
I know, and he did smoocher. What's your deal, Diego? Actually, he does smoocher. He smooches her a whole bunch. Um, They meet in a nice. Barnes & Noble. <laughs> He's interested in her because she has a stack of books about historical assassinations, and he's intrigued. So he sits down and they're talking and there's a lot of gross dialogue about she's eating a slice of chocolate cake and he does the whole like, I really like a woman who eats thing and it's gross and weird and like... Get a sandwich! Yeah, I really like a woman who will eat some food. I'm body positive, so I judge skinny women instead. Yeah, also like, I'm glad you like women that do the bare minimum that's required to continue living. huh? Yeah. I'll pork ya. I'm real into women that uh, blink. Host. I like that a lot. Man, I got to tell you, Dad, I think I met a girl. I think she's the one. You know, I I haven't talked to her yet, but I've seen her a bunch of times around campus, and she's drinking out of a water bottle. Yeah. And I, you know how much I love a woman who drinks water. It's just, man, it just really gets really wanna me. St- I just really want to step to her and just say, hi, Drayden. Hi. That's a good one. So Jin's cover story for a long time that has apparently worked well for her is that she tells people when they ask what she does that she is a bodyguard. A female bodyguard? And so when she tells Diego that she's a bodyguard, he gets super excited because he's a bodyguard too. She doesn't remember this? Talk shop. No, this is the first time they meet. No, he was the bodyguard for the guy she killed before. No, he wasn't the bodyguard for the guy she killed before. That was the thing. No, you totally told me that he was the bodyguard, but, like, failed to protect the dude. No, for the first hit, he was in the neighborhood, so you think that he's the bodyguard, but he wasn't the bodyguard. Okay. Yeah. So, they first meet. She tells him she's a bodyguard. He gets really excited because he thinks that they're going to be able to, like... Oh. Well, that, too, but, like, they're going to be able to, like, bond over their shared job description or whatever. Um, and then she, like, is caught up in this lie. Um, he also talks a lot about, like, how Typical he thinks rom-com. killers are, like, the scum of the earth and that there's never any way to forgive anyone for killing ever. And so, like, you can very clearly tell that this is going to come out, what she really does for a living, and it's going to cause a lot of problems. Well, or else the book clearly, would be very boring, yeah. yeah. So... Some of the other things. Like, I have a question. Yeah. Is Diego handsome? Yes, he's Australian. He's very like. Diego. He's very like tall and very built and apparently very handsome. He does not like he does not have any hair, but it's like shaved off. He's a shaved. He's a shaved bald head. A shaved head. Yes. Um. He's very good with kids. He really likes her daughter. And man, these oh, two. Oh yeah, move, single mom. These two right. move quick. So he, like... The daughter and the bodyguard? Well, them, too. They become, like, besties super fast. But the but Jin and Diego become, like, Boink. very intimate very quickly. Not only, like, with that, but, like, he meets her daughter, like, the second day that they know each other. And, I mean, it's a romantic comedy book. And they're trying to, like, operate under this timeline of, like, she has to go on this trip in two weeks and whatever. So it has to move fast. But it still just all feels so sudden. Like, you just met this dude and he, like, you're talking about moving in together. Oof. Also, you have, like, a secret assassin workshop yeah. in your attic. Maybe don't invite your bodyguard boyfriend to move into your house. The aforementioned. But, yeah. so, Jin is a widow and her her late Aww. husband, um, he, she never told him. Well, she doesn't have to. She never she told died. him that. Because you have a year until you have to tell your spouse that you're an assassin before they kill you. So 
Those were not the rules this time. Really? Because it was, maybe it's a year after you get married. That's what I, yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, okay, okay. So they got married and she pretty much immediately got pregnant. And right before she had the baby, he died. And so she had never gotten around to telling him what she did for a living or where all the money came from or like the truth about her family. And so she's never had to have this conversation with someone before. Now she has to add to it that she lied to him about what she does for a living and that he hates people who do what she does. So there's all that drama too. And then it's like three days before she leaves to go to the family reunion. She gets presented with another manila envelope that's got the information about the hit. A subpoena. And she's just devastated that she has to do another hit. She's not going to have time, blah, blah, blah. She figures out pretty much right away that it's the guy that Diego is in charge of. Like, it's the guy that he is bodyguarding. Yeah. <laughs> so body Diego is guarding? So as she's trying to figure out how she's going to do this, she um, she gets a knock on the door, and it's, it's the Vic. It's the guy that she's supposed to kill, like, knocking on her door. And she invites him inside, and he's talking all this stuff about how, like, I found out some secrets about you. You can just talk honestly with me. Like, I know what you do. I know your secret, blah, blah, blah. And she panics and she strangles him with her knitting needles. No, stand your ground law. Shoot him with a gun. He's an intruder. Exactly. I have to do all the thinking for assassins. I know. She's not a very good assassin. She's she's not very good at killing she's people. She's an assassin. But she strangles Ooh. him with her <laughs> circular knitting needles, which I did appreciate as as a person who knits. Um, Pearl this. Yeah. Take that, y'all. Um, but so she... I assumed that would be a uh, knitting pun. Well, I was like, because her name is Virginia, like from the South, and apparently that didn't work very that well. Was, I, I gotta tell you, that was a stretch even for me. <laughs> and I'm pretty flexible. So now she's got this dead person in her living room. And then another knock, knock, knock on the door. It's Diego. And he was like, my my guy, my client, like left the house really abruptly. I don't know where he went. This is bad for me. I need to find the guy. And so she's like posters? trying. What's he so he's like trying not, she's trying not to let him into the house because his client is literally dead, like 15 feet from where they're standing. And then he goes to look for the client. She calls her brother and her cousin in a panic, and they help her cover it up and whatever. No, her brother's name is Dakota. They call him Dak. And her her cousin's name is Liverpool, and they call her Liv. Because if you will recall, dear listener, the whole Bombay family is named after places. Ah, Virginia, yes. So Virginia, Liverpool, Dakota, And then everyone's least favorite. Coney Island. (laughs) How do you think he felt when he, like, was old enough to realize his name? Yeah. Like, son of a bitch. She got named Paris and Dakota? Yeah. And I'm Coney Island? And, like, Virginia is an actual name. Yeah. But so, pretty much immediately after this, they dispose of the body and they get on a plane and they go to Santa Muerta. While they're at Santa Muerta, Jin is called into the council. Of course there's of a council. Of course wait, there's a council. Wait, I already knew that there was a council. So she gets it's called in parents. to meet with the council. Actually, at this point, it is her grandparents. Yeah. It is the the eldest generation. It has not been passed down to the parents yet. And Are the parents the, like middle managers? Yeah. 
Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so the council tells Virginia that there is a mole within the family that's selling out their secrets to the federal government, which is confusing to me because the federal government also hires them to do a lot of their kills. So I'm trying to figure out, like, what's their relationship with the feds here? But so they have chosen Jin to be the one to find the mole and bring the mole to them, which starts off this whole next round of she's trying to figure out who the mole is and apprehend them and all this stuff. So so we have victim numero uno. Uh-huh. Heart medication guy. Yep. We have victim numero dos knitting needles Diego's client guy. Yep. And now she's going to be on the hunt for a third victim with Diego out of country. Or she's out of country well, from Diego. Well, she goes back home. Oh. And has time to start the... But, but, they, they should have called everyone to the island. And, and if figured anyone... it all out while they were all on the island? Yes. Yeah, and whoever didn't come was the mole. Well, everyone came. Well, that's the... Th- wait, wait a minute. So They, they call... all came to the family reunion, even the person who was the mole. And then they dispersed them back and into the world? And then they dispersed them back into the world. Yeah. So... Great. This is where... And you're going to laugh at this sentence. This is the point where the plot starts to fall apart a little. Same as mine. Like, second and a half act is where it all comes down. Like, the first two-thirds of the book, I was like, this is all bonkers. It's crazy. But, like, all right. I'll I'll go along with it. Then the last ten chapters, it all just went fucking insane. Did did she... Okay, I'm going to take a guess, and I'm sorry if it spoils your thing. Did she find them all? And then neglect to kill them, instead using them to hash out her relationship troubles with Diego. Kind of. Does the mole die? Actually, I don't know if the mole (laughs) dies in the end. Well, that was definitely the least expected answer. (laughs) Yeah. So, Diego finds out what she does. She winds up telling Diego what she does. There's a whole lot of drama there. She also tells him that, like, she's trying to figure out who the mole is. At this point, there's a lot of evidence pointing towards her brother. And she's devastated by this. Dak. Dak, yep. And so she tells Diego what's happening. He's obviously very upset about the lying and the killing. And so that is a whole thing. He storms away. And then basically they find more evidence to figure out that it's her cousin Richie that she hates. And oh, good. They I've are, named her to Richmond? Yep. Nailed it in one. And they are going to go back to... The future. Santa Muerta to confront the council because the council is going to try to kill Dak. And then Diego shows up to like apologize and winds up going to Santa Muerta with them. Same thing them. happened in my book. Yep. And so like the whole climax of the book is just insane. Like nothing really gets resolved at all. So the council gave her this job because they thought that she could do it. But then two days later, they start rushing her and they start threatening her about the mole. And if she can't find the mole, they're going to kill her. Yeah, like two days. Hey, fam, you sent us back to America. Yeah, it's it's going to take a while. Um, It's also going to take a while to get there. And then they always talk about how they act in the best interest of the family. But in order to get Jin to hurry up in finding the mole and turning him in, they kidnap her five-year-old daughter. So how is that in the best interest of the family? Um, everything gets, like, resolved super quickly without anything really happening. Like, basically, she brings the evidence that she had that it was actually Richie to the council on a flash drive and shows it to them. And they're like, oh, you're right. 
And that's pretty much it. And like Richie's dad, whose name is Lou for Louisiana, um, mm, he I like St. Louis. Better. It was highly implied that he was in on it with Richie, but then we don't do anything about him at all. Um, everything just gets wrapped up really quickly. It's implied that someone is given the opportunity to take Richie out, but everyone wants to take him out because everyone hates him. He's that one cousin that no one likes. And then they give uh, Jin early retirement. They say, hey, you did a really good job with this, so we're going to grant you early retirement. You don't have to kill people anymore. You can just focus on turning your five-year-old daughter into a miniature assassin. Nice. By the time my book rolls around, she has done that. She enjoys knitting. Oh, good. And I believe... It, was there one of the cousins that was really good at tech stuff? Yeah, Missy. Okay, Missy. Yeah. Missy. Okay, then it's not her. She's just retired. She's one of the ones in my book who goes with Coney. Uh-huh. And for some reason, the the lady he's interested in, and also the, the person he was supposed to kill, to Santa Marta. And, and like her roommate. Don't they bring her roommate at one point? Oh, uh, yeah, the one who the, he thinks they're sleeping together, but it's act- they never get off the plane, but it's actually a gay dude. Um... <clears throat> And they lead the revolt against the, now it's the parents' council, and they're like, oh, we better be brave about doing this, because if we do this, they're going to kill us all, mm-hmm. maybe. And they, it's built up and built up and built up, and they're like, we want to stop killing people. And the parent, the, I suppose the more recent council is like, yeah, we, we want to stop too, so we're going to stop. So that's something that I wanted to bring up. Really? Because I remembered you saying that, yeah. that in your book, In I Shot You, Babe, they stopped being assassins. Yes. I Shot You, Babe is book four in this series uh-huh. of eight. Hmm. So. In book five, they open a pizzeria and shenanigans ensue. <laughs> Probably. Part of me is kind of tempted to read some of the other books because, one, I want to know if they all follow the exact same plot line. Because <laughs> I feel like both of these two did. And yeah. I want to know if there's something about. Either one specific person stops being an assassin or they all stop being an assassin, but they're magically assassins again in the next book. I don't know. Perhaps it's prequels and it's back to like the... (gasps) Perhaps it's back to the parents' generation. It's like the 60s and 70s and 80s. And it's it's named after like 20s and 30s songs. (gasps) That could be kind of fun. That would be pretty fun. Um, I do... We can read the list of the songs. I will read them to you. I'll bring them up on my phone right here. Excuse me while I kill this guy. Guns will keep us together. Stand by your hitman. I shot you, babe. Okay, no, we have to go back to the top, and then you have to sing the titles like they appear in the song. I don't know. Excuse me while I kill this guy. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Guns will keep us together. Stand by your hitman. hitman. I shot you, babe. Um... Paradise by the rifle side. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she won me back. I'm into that. I don't. I don't know number six. Snuff the magic dragon. Snuff the magic dragon. You've never heard of Puff the magic dragon? What's Puff the magic dragon? Is it's that a, ch- a weed reference? It's n- actually not. It's a children's song about a magic dragon who oh, lives by the sea. That's cute. Um, I don't know this reference. one either. My heroes have always been hitmen. And then, have yourself a deadly little Christmas. May your pistol fire. <laughs> I could come up with better, like, I could come up with better. You could write a better book than this, too. Um, but 
there are some like funny parts. Like I, the book was quick. It was quick to read. It was mostly enjoyable. May um, you stab there was... with knives. <laughs> Sorry. There was some funny humor. It tries to be like quick and witty. Yep. And I normally really struggle with that. But there were a handful of lines that actually got me to laugh. Um, one... After three millennia of contracted kills, the family was extremely wealthy, and we all lived off huge trust funds. In the past 75 years, after some smart investing, no one has had to do more than one or two hits a year, so we all lived comfortably, and we got Blue Cross and Dental. <laughs> that is like, pretty I good. I thought that was good. But I could not help but see when you had that page open, if uh-huh. you could reopen it. If I could read a section of this uh-huh. please. I am... I snatched the Milano bag from him. I don't know what's going on, so I just know that this is terrible. There was only one... Oh, like cookies. I thought that was a designer. Nope. Definitely Pepperidge Farm. Sorry. There was only one left. Yeah, I haven't heard anything either. I guess we have to show... We guess have to... I guess we just see who shows up, and he gave a dramatic pause a la Christopher Walken. Who doesn't? And in the book, parenthesis, insert creepy... Quote, done, 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 end quote, music here, end parenthesis. Yeah. By the way, Christopher Walken does not give dramatic pauses. Christopher Walken just gives pauses. Yeah. I guess we just have to show who shows up. <laughs> That's a terrible Christopher Walken. And it was I, a pretty, I, I, I it was a pretty bad that. one. It was a pretty bad one for sure. Stabbing in the face, soldering iron. Um, There also one thing that I think worked in a like fun silly bad book but was kind of frustrating was the very obvious foreshadowing i don't know it's if like that five was shadowing yes so like there's this whole theme of she hates richie he's her least favorite relative so you know when you figure out that there's a mole in the family that it's gonna be richie because everyone hates him um she always talks about how much she trusts dak and she would never doubt dak so you know that he's gonna wind up being implicated as the mole and she's gonna have to deal with that but then she also has all these conversations about, like, who can you trust? Can you really trust anyone? So you also know that it's going to wind up not being Dak in the end anyway. So, um, I don't know. Just, like, the obvious foreshadowing got a little old after a while. But, yeah, I don't know. It was, like, it was fine. It was funny. It was good. The character sucks at a lot of things. And, like, that was <laughs> not fine. Not um, but there was one quote that I feel like it is appropriate to end my summary of this book with. One of the, the starting quotes on the chapters was, Always read stuff that will make you look good if you die in the middle of it. And I just realized how much we really suck at that. Yeah, we have not been doing a good job. No. In fact, I took this my book out. That sounds like it stinks. Took my book out on the town today. Uh, to finish up because I have had conferences all week and so I've not had as much of a chance to finish as we need, including our usual record days and then Susan's been on the road. I don't have to explain myself to you. You're not my supervisor. But I took this book to the uh, the barber today. The, oh, to no, you did not. Yeah, because I really wanted to finish it and so I was sitting there reading for a while and they're like, it'll be a 45-minute wait. I'm like, that's fine. And so I had to like sit oh. and try as hard as I could to make sure both covers were on – both sides were on my legs. Yeah, you don't want to admit to people that you're reading Yasmin Gallenhorn. Well, here's the thing. At conferences – it was a pretty dead conferences because I'm a, a teacher and stuff. I went around to the English teachers to show them this book because it's What so did terrible. they think? Uh, they all seemed to go, oh, no uh, – one of my coworkers seems to think that this book sounds really interesting and that the, the names are – uh, really well done. And frankly, if I can hop into my review here, Go for it. I would love to start a 
Otherworld Novel Book Club. Because I read this one. You've read it before. Let If you need to go back and listen, by the way, uh, episode 12 the uh, includes my... Uh, what was it? I Shot You, Babe. I Shot You, Babe review. And episode 7 uh, includes... Susan's Crimson Veil review. That episode is called Derek Shifted Jimmy John's. It was the most excited I've ever been to talk about a book. Derek's Shifted Jimmy John's. And frankly, I know exactly how you feel because I'm so excited to read this book. Right? Isn't it crazy? It's amazing. It's bonkers go nuts. It's bonkers crazy go nuts. Uh, Shaded Vision, let's see here, is the... Give me that good, good list. One, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, a seven, an eight, nine, ten, eleven. It is the eleventh book in the Otherworld novel series, and Crimson Veil was the nineteenth. I'm pretty there's sure there's eight between them because it seemed like it was leading pretty directly into yours. I don't know, but there's uh, at least eighteen, and this is the eleventh of them. And so, with eleven books before this book, the main thesis of my review is. Wowzers, Bowsers, that's a lot of backstory that's just kind of dropped on us. Yup. And I think the best way to reveal the backstory is possibly to just read as much of this book as I can. Just to show you the experience of reading this book. It's the craziest thing that you will ever read. It's the yes. And so the the plot of this book is that bombings and fires are happening thanks to two sorcerers. Oh, um, so there is, there's Otherworld, and Otherworld is open to Earth, and our main character is Delilah, a two-faced werecat and death maiden. Yeah, uh, she can turn into a tabby or a panther, depending on the need of the situation. Yep, I remember that. And she is a death maiden, which I learn in this novel to to be a uh, like a grim reaper by contract instead of by profession, which... I'll get to that, because this book raises a lot of good questions. I, like, I'll say it right now. This is not a bad book. This was supremely no, fun to read. No, it's just insane. It's like, just there's so, so much that happens in this book. It's, it's crazy. It's bonkers. It's not bad. It has like themes and like developed characters, and some of these characters have character traits, which is such a rare thing to find in Biblioval. Anyway, a lot of the relationships I remember were actually like pretty good. The the funny thing about the relationships, although they are pretty good, is that sometimes they'll take time to like, hey, look at our good constructive relationships, and you're like. <laughs> Sweet, but I'm pretty sure we're in Act 3 of this novel, and yeah. you should be go killing these people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read as many of these quotes as I see fit to give you the experience of reading this book. The In general, this book is like if you go to a friend or go with a friend to a party where they know everyone and you don't, and so their friends are just telling them all these stories to the friend and you're there listening. Yeah. And you have to do that really awkward like, oh, what? And you have no idea what's actually going on. That's, this book is like that. But if like your friend's friends were actually interesting instead of being super boring. I peeked back in the living room at the guys. They looked innocent enough. But the amount of trouble an incubus, a demon, a leprechaun, a dragon, and <laughs> an FBH, parentheses, full-blooded human... One of the Dark Fae and a half-dragon, half-shadowwalker could get into boggled my mind. Man, that's quite the ensemble. That is the menagerie that exists in their house of their men. Oh, because yes. Because there are three sisters, the, Art- the Artanio sisters. One of them is bisexual and has like a, mono- well, not so much, but a sort of monogamous relationship. It is Sue's protagonist, Melanie. Yes, Manali. Manali? Me- Menali? I just, I did Menali. 
Menali. What did I say? You said Melanie. Oh, yeah. It's not Melanie. It's Menali, uh, who is a half vampire, half fae. I don't really know what a fae is. I think it's a fairy. But a fairy, fairies are small. Fairies exist in this world. Oh. But also elves exist in this world. And usually fae is also attributed to elves. I don't know. Uh, she's dating and later becomes engaged to, in Crimson Veil, uh, a puma. So she can turn into a werepuma. She is also a consort or something like to that. To a vampire lord. To a vampire lord. Roman, who appears in this book. So, and the, the third sister, so that's one man that I don't believe was there. And the girlfriend goes out with the girls because they're going to go out on a bachelorette party the day before a wedding. Which isn't how bachelorette or no. bachelor parties work, except anywhere else but fiction. Yeah. With a pregnant bride. And so the bride can't drink. And they're going to go out and get shit-faced. That's like, no fun That's at no all. fun for the bride. And then she ends up puking on a stripper's dick. The bride? The bride does. The one sober person. Because I don't think I have uh, time to read this quote, so I'll just say this. That uh, Delilah is often tempted into becoming uh, a cat. She sees, like, cat toys or things that interest cats, and she can't help herself. And she, she goes into it. Uh, so they hire a stripper to come to this bar that they're at, and she's already kind of tipsy. And then the stripper is wearing, like, a G-string that has dangly things on it, and it's swaying back and forth as his wiener swaying back and forth. And she gets so enraptured by the dangly things that she turns into a tat. Like, this is bonkers crazy-go-nuts, but it makes for a fun book that she's so enraptured by the dangly bits on the dangly bits that she turns into a tabby and then rips them off. <gasps> uh, no, rips the G-string off, not oh, the dangly bits. Okay. They're, oh, okay. Oh, you just wait for some dangly bits trauma because oh, it no. happens. But she rips the G-string off of his wiener. And so it's just his naked wiener. And he's like, oh, where did that cat come from? And then the pregnant lady opens her mouth to say something and then vomits all over his dick because she has constant morning sickness. But then she gets married and goes away for the rest of the book. <laughs> Who is the mar- Who's the pregnant lady? Uh, the pregnant lady, her name is Iris. She's oh, a- she had she had the baby, and then I think she died in my my crimson. Oh no! I'm pretty sure she had died. I don't have like I don't have quotes for this, but one thing I did enjoy about this book is that it did seem like actions had consequences. Yeah, because if you're gonna take at least 19 books, yeah, to like tell a story, you can you can take the time and have consequences. You know. Anyway. So continuing on with the quote train to tell you what the experience of reading this book was like. Oh, and there's one more lady explaining why there's so many men at the house. Camille is one of the sisters. And I want to read a Camille book because mm-hmm. she's hot as hell, apparently. And like one of her character traits is constantly being a cock tease. And so I was like, what's a book like from the perspective of cock yeah. tease? I've, n- I've never read it. it, it I, seems bet, like- I bet she was the, the main focus of the first book. I bet she was the main focus of the one book called Bone Bone Magic. Magic. Yeah. Uh, Actually, today at the library I checked, and she totally was. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She's got huge knockers and shows them off a lot, apparently, like dresses in a way to the, like, kudos to you, girl, get it. Uh, She also has three husbands. Oh, good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we'll, we'll meet the three husbands. As if reading my mind, and we don't know about any of this, by the way. As if reading my mind, Trillian placed his hands on Camille's shoulders. Ever since Haito's, shrug, attack, my sister had pulled her men close to her to help strengthen her boundaries, and they'd been more than willing to help in whatever way they could. Morio, it's me, Morio. How many of these people do you realize, or recognize, by the way? Um, The sisters, Morio. 
Okay, Morio and she had started headlong back into their death magic rituals mm. as soon as he was out of the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about this book, is they'll just toss oh, in lines oh. like that, and you don't know how yeah, it happened. You, you have no idea. Now you just get we're, confronted with that reality. Even, we're not even done with the paragraph. Trillian had been teaching her how to I fight. recognize him. How to fight street dirty, and Smokey had been securing our land with his own crazed vigilance. Smokey is a dragon. I recognize him too. He's a human dragon. Um, so there does take a second to uh, the book does take a second to a little bit introduce our character, which I can understand why all this backstory is just thrown in. Because if you're a person who has read from the first book, you, you don't, don't want to read backstory. Yeah, you don't want to be on the eleventh book and still be hearing. I know you would be saying mm-hmm. so. So who am I? Question mark. Taking a moment here to introduce myself. I like this book overall, but like I hate when books do yeah. that. Let me first say that some days I'm not exactly sure who I am. Oh, I know I'm Delilah de Artigo, a two-faced wearer, meaning one shape I shift into is a long-haired golden tabby who loves to get in trouble and the other is my Black Panther self, ruled over by the Autumn Lord. There's no memory problem, but I've been changing so rapidly over the past year it's hard to catch my breath. One of those changes include the fact that I've also become a Death Maiden, <laughs> the only living Death Maiden at the time. What? What is going on? Most of the Autumn Lord's servants are dead. Their souls gathered in Hasselofan to work for him, but I'm alive. And someday he has promised I will bear his child via my lover Shade. We have met Shade. At first, the transformation into the Autumn Lord's service was hard for me. When my sisters and I came Earthside a few years back, I was still fr- fairly naive. Uh, what is a death maiden? A death maiden is like a grim reaper, but by contract, not by like punishment, which is, I'll, I'll, I'll transition here. I'll, I'll give you guys a break from quotes. This is one of the good questions that this book brings up. Cause this book does bring up who's the autumn Lord is a better question. Cause here's the answer. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Sorry for the language, but the, the death maiden thing is that they have to go and like, a person is scheduled to die by the hags of fate. Okay. And the death maidens are in charge of when they start to die, finishing the job and transmitting their soul either to like heaven or something. I don't really know. Or into like the great pool of energy, which if you don't deserve heaven, you don't go to hell, but you just get undone. And like now your soul is going to be like mixed in with everything else. And so you get like reduced to your components. You don't get reincarnated is what I understood from my reading. You get put back into like a big pool oh, and later pulled out. This sounds yeah. like a good side job for her. Yeah, yeah, but it does bring up a good question of like, what if the Grim Reaper didn't really want to be the Grim Reaper? And what it, it sounds like a really cool D&D kind of thing where it's yeah. like, what if death is just kind of like contracted instead of like being an ephemeral force? It's like, it's his job. Yeah, well, even more than his job, it's like a job that they didn't really apply for. They were yeah. just kind of chosen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And there's more than one death, really. Another good question that this brings up is a is a quote that really made me think. Um, Camille has been has had a rough life because it's been eleven drama dramatic books worth of life. Um, but she is like a priestess or something. I don't even know for the Moon Mother. Oh yes. And the Moon Mother, I take it, is a goddess. And she says this, just kind of sprinkled in, but. She says, quote, the gods are not omniscient, nor omnipresent, nor omnipowerful. That's interesting. That is very interesting. I kind of like that. I do like that because it raises the question, then what makes them gods? And what are they? 
if those are all these things that they're not, yeah. what are they? What what makes them gods? Is it just that people worship them? I don't know. But it is a very good question where you have to like, you have to stay in the face. Anyway, back to the quotes This to bring you into a, uh, what this was. So this is Chase, which remember <gasps> we had. A, yeah, I remember Chase. We had a fun time of uh, uh, the, all these weird, 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 weird names. And then these very normal names like Derek. Uh, Chase is at this point in the book a fully blooded human fully blood human uh police chief who I'll speak about in a second but he, he something's going on with him we're not sure what i've changed he lowered his gaze away from mine i've changed a lot especially since carvanok got hold of me oh. i will i've never told anybody what happened chances are i never will but it made me realize what we're facing how you and your sisters are right sometimes you have to skirt the rules okay he paused, then added, everything shifted again when you gave me the nectar of life. <laughs> Trust me. Is I've... nectar of life capitalized? Of course. Of course. Trust me, I've been mulling this over for a long time, and the incident with the elder fae, the spider freak, sealed the deal. Only elder fae is capitalized. Oh, spider freak uh, isn't capitalized? I was hoping that would be an official title. No. That's why I asked Camille to make me an appointment with the triple threat. That is capitalized again. The triple threat. So Chase brings me to an excellent point of that this book rules sometimes. There's they're in a fight and there's so many fights in this book. And there's so many characters. Every single yeah, there's a list of characters and a glossary. I don't know if you remember that from your mm-hmm. reading. There's a glossary, number one, and a, and a suggested listening, number two, where they it lists a bunch of songs. I love it. Um I love this book. Because there's a fight scene. There's a lot of fight scenes, but one that especially rules is that during a fight scene, our main character, Delilah, has a sentient dagger. I can't remember the name right now. Sheila or something like that, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, that talks to her and sings when it tastes blood in her mind or something. Interesting. So she's going into this fight. Okay. And here are the three things I wrote down. She's st- so, like, this is a serious fight with repercussions. They, the the Traegerts which are demons, uh, have people hostage in a safe, like a panic room in a, in a mall. So they go to save them. She stabs a man in the balls. Oh. Ouchie wow wows. Or a demon in the balls, I suppose. Two mages hold hands while murdering. So they're like in the back, casting spells, killing people, and they're holding hands the entire time. That sounds which a little is, inconvenient. Which is, no, it's delightfully creepy. I yeah. love it. With like, we, it, it's very shining. And Chase, the police chief, has nunchucks. Of course he has nunchucks. Of course he does. And it's treated like the most normal thing in the world. I don't, it's between page 84 and 92, so I don't know if I'll be able to find it. But it's treated like, yeah, dog. What of do you, course he has nunchucks. Why course, wouldn't why your wouldn't police he have chief have nunchucks? nunchucks? Like, here we go, here we go, here we go. I found it. Our cousin was physically fit. That was for sure. He nimbly dodged the... The police chief is not the cousin. He nimbly dodged the attack, then swung around, his foot connecting with the blistered muscle that lay beneath the flesh of his opponent. The Traeger screamed as Seamus dropped him. Chase pulled out a pair of nunchakus as the demon fell in front of him. (laughs) Absolutely nothing in this book recognizes how bonkers it is. And that's why it's great. That's why it's great, is it only adds to its bonkers... Can you... Like everyone including susan right here in front of me 
if you're not driving, sit and close your eyes and imagine like a group, uh, a uh, like a West Side Story style face off and a gang fight breaks out. One of the sides has like a motorcycle chain. The other has like a knife, whatever. It's normal stuff. And then all of a sudden, the law abiding police chief brings out nunchucks and conks a demon over the head with it. <laughs> and it's treated like NBD, whatever, nunchucks, of this course. This is fine. Of course we have these. Oh, God, I love this book so much. The cousin Seamus was in Crimsonville, too, I remember he's him. He's a sorcerer. Yeah. And it, he, it's a whole thing in this book because he admits he's a sorcerer and sorcerers are bad. So also in the midst of these fight scenes are, uh, this one doesn't lend to the bonkersness of the book. This one is just hilarious in and of itself. It's a sex scene. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad there were some of those in there for you. Quite a, what were they like? They're like two or three. They're pretty uh, all right, yeah. I guess. They're, it's pretty, it's not super graphic. It's no chase or choosers of the slain. Ugh. But it's also not like, we point. Yeah. Um, so this is the male talking. You, uh, shade or smoke? I can't remember which. Because they're both dragons and they both do, oh, yeah. do our characters. You're not getting away that easy unless you broke your funny bone. Get your ass over here. He started crawling toward me on hands and knees and delighted. I flipped over so that he could enter me from behind. Ugh. Rear entry was my favorite position, Ugh. though I wasn't much into butt sex. I know Camille liked it, but for me, it was a once in a while treat. Like oh rich God. food. Oh Good God. now and then, but ju- but too much just ruined the oh, effect for me. Oh, no. Oh, no. So our big boobs, oh, bone no. magic sextress, is into butt sex with her three husbands. Of course she is. Which like, oh no, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. But this is a weird thing for not only a sister to know, but reference in her books. Yeah, and like to be telling other people. Yeah, the omniscient reader. I don't know. This one's gonna be a little bit of a long quote. Okay. Several paragraphs long. I'm ready. And then I have a question after you're done. I have a question about dragons. They're human, but also they have breath or something, and their hair moves. Did your dragon's hair move? No. They had prehensile hair in my book. It's just like waving around sometimes. So did they ever turn into actual dragons? I never saw them turn into actual dragons. I didn't either. Didn't. I don't think they do. They breathed ice onto a fire. Anyway. Once I was panther, capitalized, go cats, I decided I might as well sniff around. Sometimes things were clear to me in this form and my sense of smell was heightened. I began scouting around. My rhinestone collar, both a sign of my bond with the autumn lord and also my clothes for when I transformed back, tingled, and suddenly I sensed a presence. It was him. Hyran, the autumn lord. Those are capitalized, autumn lord. I transformed back into my two-legged form. I hadn't seen him since Shade and I had gone together, and now a tingle raced through my body as he came in on the north wind. A whirl of flame and fire and burning leaves and chill autumn nights. Uh, pause. This book, for its bonkersness, is actually pretty well written. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of metaphors and analogies and stuff that like, oh, Work. I, I understand yeah. what you mean. Anyway, but still bonkers. His long black cape fluttered and his hair as jet as his cape and past his shoulders glimmered with sparkles of frost that had landed and stayed frozen to the strands. A wreath of burning maple encircled his head and around his neck he wore a golden cord from which hung a skull, small and human looking. Ooh. His boots, dark leather with stacked heels, left a trail of frost in their wake with every step he took. Haran was seven feet tall, and the elemental lord's eyes glimmered, a whirl of stars against the blackness. 
I caught my breath at his beauty and stepped into his embrace. He pulled me close, and I rested my head against his chest. As I stood there, safe in the shelter of his arms, he murmured low whispers that I couldn't quite catch. Uh, my Delilah. A low growl ripped out of his throat, and he pressed his lips firmly against my own again, his tongue meeting mine, forcing me to acknowledge his power. I moaned low as the flames Ugh. erupted through my body, and I ached to have him, to feel me in me. To know, or to feel him in me, to know what it was like to embrace the power of the harvest. Uh, power is not capitalized, but harvest is. As if reading my thoughts, he swept a hand down, brushing my thigh, Ooh. and I came hard and swift, crying from out a, from a brush on the thigh. Crying out as a swirl of sparks echoed through me, struck by the heat of his touch. My lord, I whispered when I could think again. What will you ask of me? Whenever I was around him, all I could think was of making him proud of me, making myself worthy in his eyes. I have three things to say. First of all, gross. Second of all, <laughs> um, what's your deal that you've never made me have that reaction by literally touching my thigh I'm sorry. before? Maybe I'll go get a crown of burning maple. My, my third thing. He was referred to as both the Autumn Lord and an Elemental Lord. Does that mean Autumn is an element? I do not know. <laughs> But possibly. <laughs> I feel like that's got to be what it means. That autumn is one of the elements. There's earth, wind, fire. And autumn. autumn. <laughs> I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm skipping a couple of choice quotes for... Okay. Wiley Smith has upset the balance, bringing too much chaos into a situation. The hags of fate have decreed that his soul should be sent into the cleansing fires. So she's on a death maiden mission. You must collect his soul, Delilah. There are things you need to know. Grandmother Coyote spoke with the Autumn yes. Lord and he ordered it done. I remember writing down, apparently there's a Grandmother Coyote? Never question really. mark? Uh, you'll enjoy this. More than just let you use it. Roman apparently... I'm skipping like 50 pages at a time. Oh, yeah. I want everyone to know that. More than just let you use it, Roman apparently sent orders that it be opened and there will be ambassadors from the Vampire Nation in attendance from the Court of the Crimson Veil. <gasps> so, I blinked. Melanie must have put in a call to Roman before she went to bed. Roman was one of the sons of the Vampire Queen, Bloodwine. That's another book name. Yeah, she had recently come out of a reclusive state to stand at the helm of Vampire Nation. Last quote here before I go into my... This is when the pieces start to fall into place, like the detective realizing that Kevin Spacey was the guy from The Usual Suspects. What's his name? You've never seen The Usual Suspects. <laughs> I don't know who Kevin Spacey is. V verbal Voldemort. Kit? No, Verbal Kent or something like that. Voldemort. Okay. Uh, okay, so there the pieces are starting to fall into place about this. But why, if they're working for Trishan and we're working for Stasia Bonecrusher... Which, first of all, pause. Stasia Bonecrusher? Yeah, Stasia Bonecrusher. That's my all, new D&D &D character. Uh, totally, and I believe I wrote that same exact thing down. <laughs> Kudos. Hold on, she said. Back into the quote. A thought occurred to me that I didn't really want to think. We've been assuming all the... Tra uh, I'm just going to read this as fast as possible, because I love the way it sounds coming very, very fast. <laughs> hey. Just like she did with the Autumn Lord. 
We've been assuming that all the Trigarts were working with Stasi against Shadowwing, capitalized, and uh, all of them are now working with Trishan. But what if Shadowwing used that assumption to his benefit? What if they've been on his side the whole time? And what about Van and JC? Do we know if they were really in Stasia's pocket? What if they were spying on her and reporting back to Shadowwing? Breathless, I dropped to a bench in the hall and leaned my head against my knees. Camille sat down beside me and took my hand, looking as pale as I felt. After a moment, I let out the breath and steam and sighed up. Do you think they might be double agents? It makes perfect sense. Suppose Shadowwing knew about Stasia's bone, bone Crusher's attempted coup, and suppose he sent her over here knowing that she might betray him to either prove or disprove her loyalty. And in the meantime, he also sent Van and JC to connect with her and put her to the test. We accepted that they were totally in sync with Stasia. Camille rubbed at her forehead, wincing, still going. If that's so, then there's a chance that Telazar had met Stasia at the Shadowwing's request. Then she turned on him too. If Telazar is in the Demon Lord's pocket, then he's over there looking for ways to either rip it open a new portal or gate more into demons. Oh my god, what is happening? I feel like when I read this first book, I was so excited to talk about it. And I remember you thinking that that was a little weird. That was Like, why are you so excited to talk about a bad book? And now I feel like you understand why. Yes, I very much understand why. It's insane. And there's so much of it. And even though it's written pretty well, it's just bonkers very bonkers it's insane i loved it so much there's just so many fights but another thing that's bonkers and i don't have a quote for it is that one of the characters has a, a bone golem which first of all nice bone golem. a bone golem that can grow and shrink by like yards at a time like up to <laughs> like eight feet tall or 12 inches but <laughs> a bone golem that can grow and shrink nice <laughs> penis jokes <laughs> A bone gom that can grow and shrink up to like eight feet, and he's usually at like twelve, maybe inches. And his name is Rodney. <laughs> Rodney the, the bone gom. That's the other part of this series that's amazing is that there are so many characters. There are hundreds of characters, and so Yasmin Galanorn runs out of like fantasy sounding names because she also used two of them on herself. And, <laughs> and so she has to start <laughs> She has to start using names like Derek and Chase and, and Rodney. Rodney. Oh my god, that's oh my fun. Uh, I love this whole series so much. Yeah, anyway, Rodney rips a dude's balls off. <laughs> Was that the part when we were sitting out on the patio and you were reading it and you go, oh! Yeah, uh, shit starts <laughs> happening in the last act. And by the last act, do you the mean last, the last the 20 very, pages? Yeah, the very last scene is a fight. I took... All, okay, so all of the, the notes in blue I took tonight. So these are this is it. Oh, yeah, the bone golem that can grow and shrink named Rodney. The sister showed up, Ariel. Ariel's the she's the, the one sister that, that only shows up, shows up yeah. when they need her in battle. Yes, because I remember that. Nice of you to make it, Ariel, is what I wrote down. Holy shit, everything is happening at once. Main-ish bad guy gets his neck broken in and aside. Like Yeah. It's kind of quiet out, and the only noise that I could hear was Van getting his neck broken. <laughs> That's it. That's all he gets. That's it. That's how your main character uh, it's like a it's like the end of the freaking Dark Tower. That's how your main bad guy gets his come up in. I said shit's getting all Stephen King on us. Woo! Uh because start stuff starts getting gross, the main bad guy gets raked across the face with talons without fanfare, and his eye pops out and it's hanging by an optical nerve. Oh which is, no! it reminded me so much uh. it reminded me so much of the TikTok man. Yeah. Where it's like the big bad TikTok man and the <laughs> 
Tic Tac Man's dead and his skull, his scalp flaps over, you know? Yeah. And so it all happens at once and it's really gross and the whole thing reminded me of that. Um, but for all this craziness, all this like whack bonkers insanity. Ooh, good, good band name. Whack bonkers, yeah. Whack bonkers insanity. Whack bonkers would also be a really good like comedy porn title. Does such does such a thing exist? I I hope not. Okay. Y- you would you would know I, I, before I, I would. Seen, yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is about this book, demons run a sex shop. By the way, thought of I course they do. Yeah. Um, Next to the Starbucks, is this one set in Seattle? Yes, it is also set yes. in Seattle. The one thing about this book is that it's not that bad. There are character traits that I picked up on, which is a very big rarity in this sort of uh, book. Like I don't often get the chance to identify with characters. There's Manali, the impulsive yet lazy vampire. Mm-hmm. Delilah, the distracted yet decisive but slow in slow moments. Uh, Werecat or whatever. And Camille, the capable cocktease, which frankly yeah. I love that title. Um, there's even themes to this book. Like, I, they're not super great and they're not super developed, but the fact that I can identify them and uh, like find them uh, is amazing. Family and change are the big themes mm-hmm. in this book. Uh, I loved that these books connected together. Like I could see where it happened in mine and then like it's going out there. It, the best part I loved is that it ends in a loss. They lose at the end. Mm -hmm. They lose one of the spirit seals, which I didn't go much into the plot of because the plot was probably the least connected part. There's like fire bombings and they have to run to a new thing every 20 pages, but uh, they lose one of the spirit seals, which do something. They're important or whatever. The MacGuffins, they lose it. Uh, and then they, uh, one of the characters gets a new power. And he's just like, I don't know. I just got it. I don't know why. But all in all, I love this book. And frankly, I would lo- I would like to, I don't know if it's going to be a side project, an ongoing bibliophile project or what. But at some point, I want to start from the beginning and read all of these books and update everyone on this. I would absolutely do that. I feel like it would be a really good like palate cleanser. Mm. Like after you know how sometimes after you make me read an Ann Coulter sometimes book. Sometimes after I make you read an Ann Coulter book, or sometimes we get in a little bit of a rut. Like mm. we start to kind of get the same types of books over and over. I've again. got a really good idea for two weeks from now. So or I four think weeks from that now. like every couple episodes or whatever, whenever we feel the need. We do a Yasmin Gallinorn book because they're amazing and I love them. I would also love them. Basically, if nothing else I've said has sold you on this book, this book needs one tagline. And that tagline that could be put on, I don't know, billboards and the books themselves. You can quote me on this, Miss Gallinorn. And it's not even like, it, there's no opinion. It's just a fact. Quote, a bone golem named Rodney rips a demon's balls off. End quote. <laughs> Michael Dickinson, host of Bibliophile. <laughs> I'm really glad I'd finished swallowing the sip of wine that I just drank, because otherwise I would have spit that all over the entire table. Buy this book. Buy a thousand copies. Give it to all your friends. This is not quite, because it's too long. If it was as short as the other one, it would have been even better. 
but this is almost Christmas sex book, they turn out to all be ghosts quality. <laughs> it is. It's so, so freaking good. I it's love it. so freaking good. I love it. Anyway, we've, we've already been to the library this week since this one's coming out a little late. And while I go to the back to get the books out, Susan is going to waste some time. Yeah, so I will take care of some of our other business items before we uh, sign off here. Um, if you'd like to read the accompanying blog posts to these books, um, you can find those on Mick's blog at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. Um, you can also follow each of us on Twitter. Mick is at Dickama, that's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A, and I am at Susan J, that's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and answer our Twitter polls about the podcast. There are like three people who normally respond to Twitter polls, so we would we would like more people to do that. Sometimes. Retweets. Yeah, y'all. If you like this podcast, please give us a retweet. It might not seem like that big of a deal to you, but it's a big deal to us because like, then that's more people that yeah. get to see that we have this silly podcast and it makes us super happy. So yeah, give us that old to, RT. I won't have to walk around conferences like pushing it in people's face. Anyway, next week I will be reading Sydney. No, wait. Oh, Sydney Chambers and The Problem of Evil by James Runcie. I'm sorry. I thought Sydney Chambers was the author. Sydney Chambers and the Problem of Evil by James Runcie. It is a series of mysteries. I'm pretty sure it's more than... Yep, there are four... Damn it, Sue. There are four books in this one book. Uh, it's a priest, sometimes priest, who has a wife who solves mysteries. Just in case you didn't know, priests are not supposed to have wives. Yeah, and Sue will be reading... Oh, dear. Sue is going to be reading... From a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed. I have to stop singing or else we have to pay for it. Yeah, so if if those books sound interesting to you, you want to know what we're talking about when we talk about it, go ahead and, and cop those from your nearest uh, local library. Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. And with that, I think, finally, Sue, we can say... Au revoir. But also before we do, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Matt, have a great night.